Well, I want to thank those of you that have been involved in this ministry fair this year because there's been a lot of work going into the displays. I know that, you know that. But I want to thank those of you that are involved in the ministry period in any form or fashion for all the different ministries that are out there that uh, you're involved with. I thank you. There are so many different kinds, and if you haven't been to the Fellowship Hall, please go and look at the displays and see how the Lord might be calling you to do any of these number of ministries as well. Some of you are sitting here today thinking to yourself, you know, I can't do this. I'm not capable. I'm not qualified. Perhaps I'm not talented, I'm not able, I, I don't have the abilities. You're looking around and you compare yourself with each other and you may say, well, I can't do what they do, so therefore maybe I can't do anything at all. The answer is just the opposite from God. God has placed you on this earth to do something and he will give you the capability of carrying it out. Today's lesson is on Gideon. We have Gideons in our church from Gideons International. This is a Bible distribution organization that uh, puts the word of God in the hands of men and women worldwide. But let's see about their namesake. Judges 7, first eight verses. Early in the morning, Jerubael, that is Gideon, and all of his men camped in the spring at Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. In order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her, announce now to the people, Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will sift them for you there. If I say the one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. Then the Lord told him, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred men lapped with their hands to their mouths. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other men go, each to his own place. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tents, but kept the three hundred who took over the provisions and the trumpets of the others. Let's pray. Our most gracious Father, you're here today to tell us exactly what you want us to hear. Lord, I just pray that we will see ourselves as a mighty minority, that we will stop looking for the majority opinion, that we'll stop looking for those who are more gifted, more capable, more talented than we are, and use that as an excuse for inactivity. Forgive us for that, Lord Jesus. So be with us and be with these decisions being made even now. May we honor and glorify you above all things. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's back up for this brother Gideon a little bit. One chapter. Now, 
I know you're sitting there with your excuses for why you're not more involved in the Lord's work than you should be. Uh, there's all kinds of excuses. Gideon had them, and rightfully so. You may just feel like, well, I'm, I'm just not the person. I'm not the man. I'm not the woman. I'm not the person I used to be. I'm not the person that I think God needs me to be in order to be used, whatever the case might be. You need to understand that if Jesus can use fish and loaves for his glory, he can use anybody. Okay? So look at the sixth chapter. I want to give you a background here as to what we're talking about. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They continued to worship Baal and Ashtoreth. They continued to worship the gods that were in opposition to the Lord God. And for seven years, God gave them into the hands of the Midianites because the power of Midian was so oppressive. The Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops... The Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their own livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Seven harvest seasons, God allowed the Midianites to come into the nation of Israel because of the disobedience of the Israelites. And for seven harvest, the Israelites would go out into their garden. Consider those of you that love to garden. You go out and you hold the ground. You toil out there. You till the soil. You plant the seed, you water it, you nourish it, you, you wait for the crops to grow, and then when the crops spring forth and bear forth their fruit, neighbors that from another neighborhood come in and steal everything you've got. There you were counting on that food not only for your immediate hunger needs, but you're also counting to can it. Well, I'll tell you, where are we from came from in Kentucky, there was a lot of canning going on up there. Oh, my goodness. Tomatoes, beans, potatoes, corn, you name it. it if, if they could grow it, they could can it. Just imagine, though, if you were doing this and that enemy came just across the hill and just swooped down and stole everything that you had labored for. This is what the Midianites and the Amalekites did. So here we are in the eighth season. Now, enter Gideon. Gideon. I'm not impressed with Gideon personally. I don't think you would be impressed with him if you knew all about him. And I'm going to introduce him to you. Gideon was a guy that was threshing in a wine press. That may not sound peculiar to you. But a threshing floor, when you're threshing out grain, was usually flat and open to the outside so that the wind could come in and blow the chaff away and that they would have the grain on the floor. But a wine press was normally in a pit in the earth that was hidden for the most part. And here he was behind a big oak tree in a pit, in a wine press, trying to escape the attention of the Amalekites and the Midianites. Gideon was a coward. 
You ever felt that way about yourself? I'm a coward. I'm not going to. Somebody else is going to tell them about Jesus. I'm not. What if I get rejected? What if they laugh at me? What if I get involved in this ministry and it just doesn't work out? What if I can't do these things? So Gideon hid. And he threshed the floor. Now, let's enter the angel. Move down to verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, the angel said, The Lord is with you. King James Version says, O mighty man of valor. The NIV says, O mighty warrior. Well, I'm looking at Gideon and I'm thinking, What do you see that I don't see? Where's this mighty warrior? That's not Gideon. And Gideon knew it. I'm not a, you obviously got the wrong person here. So Gideon begins to make excuses, like you and I would, perhaps. Gideon starts looking at him and saying, excuse me, but sir? Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, there's question in his mind. Does God really exist? If he does exist, why do bad things happen to good people? Why are we under this particular stress every harvest year? Why does God allow the Midianites, the enemy, to come in and capture our provision? If God exists, he said, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about? You know, we keep hearing testimonies from our aunt and uncle, our mother and father, our grandparents about how God has just swooped in and taken care of everything, and yet I don't see it. Mighty warrior, excuse me, I think the angel ought to move on. There's got to be somebody else out there that can do the job. I'm saying Gideon's not the man for this task. So he continues on. He says, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. Don't you hate whining? I hear it all the time. Sometimes I hear it from myself. You hear it in hospital rooms. Well, you know, if God's really God, why am I experiencing these, these surgeries, these experiences? If God's really God, why did these things happen to my family? Why, why can I not get ahead financially and on and on and on? And the angel's probably sitting there singing, go ahead, give it your best shot. Now look at verse 14. The Lord turned to him, and many theologians believe this was Jesus himself. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have. What? I don't see any strength at all. Evidently, God sees things in us that we don't see in ourselves. Amen. Amen. And save Israel out of Midian's hand. And then the Lord said, am I not sending you? What does that mean? If I'm sending you, then I'm going to be there with you. Then, then here comes Gideon again. But Lord, oh my gosh. 
Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. My family's not any big deal. We're not politically connected. We don't know anybody in the community. We're not members of any club or any fraternal organization. Nobody knows us. Dad's a blue-collar worker. He's, he's trying to make ends meet by just eking out food from the land when he can. We're nothing. Now, not only is my family nothing, but look at what he says about himself. And I am the least in my family. I got brothers and sisters that can do more things than I I'm not artistic. I don't sing. I don't play an instrument. I don't preach. I don't teach. I don't do any of these things. I'm in here trying to get some wheat grain, and that's all I'm doing. I'm the least in my family. It was said of Moses when God appeared to him in the burning bush. Moses quickly in Exodus 3, we see this call of Moses. I love it because I actually went through that call when I felt the Lord calling me in the ministry. Moses said, you want me to go to Pharaoh? Excuse me? Aaron's the one that's the orator. He's the one that can, I'm slow of speech. I can't talk. I remember my Old Testament professor, Dr. Clyde Francisco, had a bad case of stuttering. And he said he felt God calling him to, to preach and to teach. And he said, I don't get it. I had a stuttering issue and you want me to speak before people? You know? David Ring, who has several palsy, you've, some of you have heard him speak. You, it takes you a little while to get into his speech pattern because of his cerebral palsy. But he'll go on. He said, he said, you know what? I got cerebral palsy. What's your excuse? And he'll continue on making that challenge. So I don't see a mighty warrior here. But God says, I will be with you. We're going to bring down these Midianites together, he says. I'm going to be with you. Now, on the back of your bulletin, you've got my four points. I'm going to get right to them. It's taking me a while, but I'm going to get right to them. Number one is that we've got to have confidence in God. I look at chapter 7, the first two verses. Early in the morning, Jerubael, now, that word was given to Gideon because part of his obedience was to tear down the, the, uh, all of these idols to Baal and the Ashtoreth that existed in Israel, even among his own family. And this word, Jerubael, literally means contender or antagonist of Baal. So here he is with the men, 32,000 of them. All his men camped at the spring of Herod. Have you ever been at the spring of Herod yourself? You know what the Hebrew means in Herod? The definition is trembling. The spring trembling. So you know these people were afraid. They were camped out at Herod trembling because of the enemy, because of the Midianites, the Amalekites, and there they were trembling. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been afraid of, to face today, much less tomorrow? You're afraid sometimes to get out of bed, don't know what you're going to experience. Sometimes you're just afraid to, to go at the task that God has assigned because it's a God-sized task and you're just not sure that you heard him right. Well, the camp of Midian was north of them in the valley. Now look at verse 12. 
Verse 12 says the Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. What? 32,000 men, and by some estimation, there may have been as much as 10 times that many. They were too numerous. Even their camels were too numerous to count, much less the men. And so, here they are trembling. But God wants the glory. Look at what the verse says. God said to Gideon, You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands in order that Israel may not boast against me that his, her own strength has saved her. Announce now to the people. God wants the glory. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. God says, I want the glory. you got too many men. I want the glory. How many times have I heard that expression from people over the years that have said, you know what? If we were just a bigger church, we could accomplish more. You probably said it yourself. Some of you have come from much larger churches where you moved here from. And you can say, wow, boy, now those churches, we can do so many things in the community because of our sheer size. I've heard that about budgets. If we just had a bigger budget, we could do more. God says, I want the glory. I don't want you to have it. This is my body. This is my work. And this is my glory. And I'm not willing to share it with you. So he says, you've got too many people there, Gideon. You're going to all pat yourselves on the back. If I give you the victory, then you're going to go back and start patting yourselves on the back and say, we did it. Israel did it. We're big enough. We're strong enough. We're bad enough. We're the ones that did it. God said, I'm not willing to share my glory with any of you. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pare it down even further. So here's what happens. He goes out, and and I can just picture Gideon, this mighty warrior, so to speak. Gideon says to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. In his heart, he's probably thinking, yeah, probably be a few hundred people. After all, they were camped at trembling. 22,000 men packed it up, gave their provisions to those that remained, got on their horses or walked or whatever they did, and they started out toward the horizon, toward home. I can imagine Gideon, as a leader, had his jaw dropped wide open. As he's staring at two-thirds of his military might that just took that opportunity to take an extended R&R. As the last wagon or horse is clearing the horizon and the dust is settling, Gideon's going, are you kidding me? Really? And then God makes that next statement. But there's got to be courage. He says, so those of you who tremble with fear may turn back and leave. There's got to be that element of courage because a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. Verse 10 says it this way. If you are afraid to attack, 
if you're afraid to attack. God assured himself and Gideon that the victory was assured four times. On this fourth time in verse 10, God said, listen, Gideon, I know you better than you know yourself. I know you have fear. I know you still have apprehension. You still have doubts. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you down to the Midianite camp at night. You just go there and listen to what's being said. So Psalms 56.4 says, In God I trust. I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? Paul said to young Timothy that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and discipline. I have learned in churches and organizations that approximately two-thirds of your people have no heart whatsoever for conflict. Amen? A third of you at least ought to amen that. You know? <laughs> the other two-thirds are already th- thinking about lunch. The heart for conflict. We don't want it. Let somebody else do it. No, nah, I'm not up for this, you know. Let somebody else do it. I, I've, I've done my thing. I've, I've had my years. I'm on sabbatical. I'm retired. I'm whatever I am. I'm not available. See you at lunch, Pastor. Two-thirds of the people in any given church have no heart for conflict. Thirdly, the concentration. God looked at Gideon as Gideon is just trying to pick his jaw up off the ground. The Lord said to Gideon in verse 4, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I'll sift them there for you. And so he took them down to the water and here's what happened. He's, and there are several different interpretations here, but I'll tell you what mine is. The men who went down to drink water that dropped on both knees and on their hands, dropped their weapons to the side, and began to drink like a dog. Those that, that maybe got on one knee, kept one weapon in one hand, and kept their eyes on the horizon, searching for the enemy, and would bring the water up with their hands, the Bible says, would bring their hands to their mouth, were those that were continuing to be soldiers in the Lord's army. Those who were continu- continuously aware and alert of the enemy and their personal uh, freedom being taken from them at any given moment were those who were enlisted in God's army of 300. That mighty minority, the battle was the most important. Paul said to young Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, no one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Fight the good fight of faith, he would tell young Timothy. I want to give you a story, an illustration real quickly. Back in the Carter administration, I was with a large group of people that we were doing evangelistic preaching and teaching over in South Korea. And at that particular time, some of you military people will remember, the North Koreans were amassing a large contingency, like 100,000 people on the DMZ, the demilitarized zone. So the commanding general of the South Korean army took us up and we got to go up in the observation towers. We got to go down into the, into the uh, tunnels that were dug by the North Koreans to infiltrate South Korea and so forth. And what he was pleading with us was that he wanted us to take the message back to America. Please don't 
pull out of South Korea because we've got this threat on the horizon. Well, that one afternoon, the commanding general took us to the new recruits. And there were some 500 recruits, approximately. And they were all sitting on the tarmac, and we were all up on the platform. I was watching. We had an evangelist that was preaching through an interpreter, and he preached a a very evangelistic message and said to those soldiers, those young recruits, if you would like to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, stand to your feet to receive Him now. The interpreter preached it. About 475 out of 500 young recruits stood to their feet. The evangelist was shocked because of the large number. So he asked them to be seated again and went through the plan of salvation one more time and then asked those that would like to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior to stand to their feet. And about 475 young recruits stood to their feet to receive Christ. So the general had a reception for us afterwards and Bill Fudge, who was our American missionary to South Korea at that point and who was interpreting, was at the uh, reception. So I come up to Bill, and I said, Bill, let me play devil's advocate here. Not a role that I'm really familiar with too much. But I said, in this particular situation, I said, let me, let me just ask you a question. You've got the commanding general of the South Korean military up on the platform. You've got all these other officers up there, all these other commanders. And I said, if I was a young recruit, and I saw my commanding general up there on the platform wouldn't it sound right that I would make a decision that I thought he would approve of? Bill Fudge said to me, he said, you know you'd think that, but in Asia it's different. He said, if a, if a soldier makes a commitment in the face of his commanding officer, he will literally give his life to carry it out. I thought, wow. Now that preaches. So here are these 300 men that are willing to give their life to carry this out. I've also learned in churches, a third of your congregation have the heart for conflict and for ministry, but not the head. They really want to do it, but the head and the heart haven't really made a mutual commitment to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I'd like to do that. I really want to do that. I want to be a part of that. But somehow they hadn't really made that internal commitment to discipline, to discipleship. To obedience. Well, there's a man by the name of Marsden who's training young uh, executives in the corporate world. And he told these young executives make every occasion a great occasion for you can never tell when somebody may be measuring you for a greater place. He told them whether you're in your car, whether you're at work, at play. Whatever the case might be, know that there might be another executive around there watching you when you're trying to climb that corporate ladder. The same thing holds true for Christians. We need to understand that our Lord Jesus Christ is watching us at every given moment, whether we're at at table eating, whether we're at play, whether we're watching TV, whether we're in the community, whether we're working in a club, out on a ball field, whatever we're doing. The Lord is measuring us to see that if we are faithful in in the smaller matters, He knows we'll be faithful in the larger ones. So we are constantly, folks, being measured for the task. 
No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Fight the good fight. And then finally, controlled by God. The Lord said to Gideon, with 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. It's already won. God said it's already won. So God says to to Gideon, because, in verse 10, because you are afraid to attack Gideon, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go down to the Midianite camp at night, disguised, don't let them know that you're an Israelite, and just listen to the conversation. So here's the conversation. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend of his dream. I had a dream, he said. A round loaf of barley bread, which is for poor people and, and was always symbolic of the Israelites, came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. What did, Midian, what did Gideon do? He went back that moment and woke up the 300. said, guys, it's time to move. God has given us the victory. That mighty minority, that 300, less than 1% of the people that originally committed. 32,000 down to 300, less than 1%. Can you imagine and we're sitting here thinking, Lord, you know, if we just had more people, if we just had more money, if we just had bigger, yeah, and the list goes on. When God says to us, listen, this is my battle and my victory. All I'm asking for you is to be faithful in joining me. That's all I'm asking. John Wesley put it this way, give me a hundred men who fear nothing but sin and love nothing but God and I will shake the gates of hell. Vance Havner said, People of faith see the invisible, choose the imperishable, and do the impossible. Notice in verse 15, after Gideon heard this, he worshiped God. Well, the story is, if you read the rest of the chapter, I'll summarize it for you real quick. Because he gave a shofar, a trumpet, a ram's horn, to each of the 300 men. In one hand, and in the other hand, He gave them pitchers, clay pitchers with torches in them. And then he divided the 300 among three different regiments. And he surrounded the camp of Midian. And then he said, watch me. When I give you the the, uh, cue, I want you to blow your ram's horn, your shofars. I want you to break the pitcher so that your torch is visible and shout, For the Lord and for Gideon. And they did. And what happened, God, because these these Midianites were sleeping in their tents, some of them were drunk, all kinds of uh, things going on in their camps. But during the darkness of that evening, God created confusion in the camp and they turned on each other and killed each other. These 300 men didn't even have to raise a sword at that particular point. Now this is what happens when we agree with God to be available to him for his purpose. Well, you're sitting here this morning. Maybe you never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Whatever excuse you have for not trusting Jesus is the wrong excuse. Trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. 
Listen to what he has to say. Maybe you're here this morning and God is calling you to do something specific and you're resisting for any number of reasons. None of them are valid. If God is calling you to do something and you resist him, none of those excuses are valid. So if God is calling you to follow him, to trust him, to be obedient in some kind of ministry or activity that God has called you into, today's the day to say yes. It's the mighty minority that wins the battle because it's God's minority and he's never been overly impressed with a majority. So there he is. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've never followed him in baptism by immersion. Maybe you've not followed him in church membership or whatever the case might be. This is your opportunity. Say yes. I'll be here after the prayer at the front to pray with you about whatever decision you have. Won't you come? Won't you come? Let's pray. Our most gracious Father, we love you and we thank you so much for this day that you've given us. What a blessing it is to be here in your name for your purpose, for your glory. And Lord, we... Forgive us, Lord Jesus, for resisting whatever it is that you're calling us to do, that you have called us to do, and we continue to resist. Forgive us for that, Father. And, Lord, we just pray that we'll be faithful in making decisions that bring you honor and glory, whatever it might be. And we want to thank you. Thank you for the minority. Thank you for those who are willing to stand up in your name, for your glory, for your purpose, in your will. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing the hymn of invitation. I'll be here at the front to pray with you about whatever decision the Lord lays on your heart.